he's going to answer this question over the course of chapters 8, 9, and 10. So it's basically a three-chapter answer. And the question itself is whether it is okay or not okay for a Christian to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. Now, uh, while this is not a problem that we have to be concerned with today, uh, there are many other questions. There are many other things that we have questions about. Is it okay for a Christian to play cards? Is it okay for a Christian to dance, smoke a cigar, gamble, drink alcohol, sell alcohol, entertainment, where we go, what we do, what we don't do, what we watch, Halloween, Christmas trees, Easter eggs, Harry Potter, so the list goes on and on. These are all things that Christians wrestle with. We do not all see eye to eye on these matters. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's two people in this room who are in complete agreement with each other on all of these issues. We all see it differently. Why is that? Well, as I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10 have a parallel passage in Romans, Romans 14. And uh, were they both addressing the same issues? And at the beginning of chapter 14 in Romans, Romans 14.1, Paul gives us this instruction. He says, don't argue about doubtful issues. So the first command there is that we're not supposed to argue about this. And that means not having an argumentative spirit about a subject. So all of a sudden we're starting to talk about our heart and the condition of our heart as we approach something that is difficult, something that is questionable. We call it questionable. So don't argue about doubtful issues. So that word doubtful issues is the way the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates a Greek word. The Greek word, which I am not gonna try to say, uh, means reasonings, reasonings. Things that we reason out in ourselves. The NIV translates this as disputable matters. The English Standard Version just calls it opinions. This Greek word is the word that we get our English word for dialogue. And so this is an internal dialogue that is going on inside each one of us. So pick an issue and there's this internal dialogue that we have with ourselves about how we feel about this issue. The pros, the cons, the, the negatives, the biblical principles, the things that we want to pull together to try to make our decision. It's an internal dialogue. And my dialogue is not the same dialogue that you have. We all do this differently. And it, it is resolved in our hearts and it becomes a conviction. It becomes true and right to you. In other words, we have a, a conscience. Each one of us has a conscience. And as we wrestle with these issues and we resolve these issues in our conscience, it becomes a conviction. And so this morning, 
what we're going to be doing is looking at the Bible's instructions for us concerning Christian liberty, Christian freedom, things that are not wrong in and of themselves, but there may be situations and circumstances where they are. How do we balance this out? And this is the, the task we have in chapters 8, 9, and 10, balancing our Christian liberty. Now, uh, in the context, in the practice of idolatry, uh, animals were sacrificed. And part of the animal was consumed in the sacrifice, but there was parts and portions of it that were not. And uh, one of the things they used to do is they would have meals together uh, with part of the remaining portions of the animal. And so in these temples, and we'll remember that there was all kinds of temples, uh, just in the city of Corinth, for example, there was all kinds of different temples to different kinds of pagan deities. And they would sacrifice an animal, and then they would come together and have a meal together. And it would be very much like a restaurant, kind of. Uh, but it was a, a fellowship meal, and it was all under, in the name and under the banner of this deity that this animal had been sacrificed to. And it's important for us to understand that this was woven within the very fabric of society. It was an intricate part of everything they were doing. This is where you would go to have lunch, where you would have a business meeting. It's where you would take your family for dinner. This is where uh, wedding receptions were held. This is where uh, festivals were held. It was public dining, which we do, right? So we may not have to go to Kroger's and worry about the food being sacrificed to an idol, but we have issues that we wrestle with too. And so part of the animal was, was consumed publicly. But even still, there were remaining portions of the animals that were sold in the marketplace. Some Christians didn't have a problem with eating this food at all. They could just go in there and buy it, and their conscience was as clear as, clear as it could possibly be. But other Christians had really big problems with it. Uh, the Bible gives us two different groups of people in the church who had problems with eating this meat. One of them was the Gentiles, uh, specifically Gentiles who had, uh, um, had just come out of a, a very heavy involvement in idolatry. This was a big part of their life, and they had become Christians. They were saved, and now they're going to church, and they just can't separate meat being okay to eat and what's happening. Just can't do it. That is the group that is addressed in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. It's talking about Gentiles who have a heavy background in idolatry, and they just have a problem eating this meat. The other group is in Romans 14, and that is to Jewish Christians, people who had spent their entire lives obeying the Mosaic Law, and now they're Christians, and they're having uh, this confrontation with society where this meat is sold in the market, it's been sacrificed to an idol, and, and they're struggling with whether or not they can eat that. These two different groups. Now, we know that in Corinth, there was Gentiles who came out of idolatry, but there were also Jewish Christians. We saw that last week in chapter 7. So, in the church in Corinth, there was both kinds of people. 
that felt very strongly about not eating this meat. And in that same church, there were people who didn't have a problem with it at all. What do you do? How do you get along? What's the answer? If you were to go to Rome, this letter that was written to the Romans, we know that there were Gentiles there, uh, just like in Corinth, where people who came at Gentiles who came out of idolatry, but we also know that there was Jewish Christians there. And so both groups of people are represented in both congregations in Corinth and in Rome. And then there's this other group of people who doesn't see anything wrong with it at all. Well, Paul's answer in 1 Corinthians begins in chapter 8 and it concludes in chapter 10. And right in the middle is, of course, chapter 9. And chapter 9 is uh, Paul. He is talking about himself. And Paul is using his example. And so he begins this discussion in chapter 8 and he finishes, finishes it in chapter 10. But right in the middle, he starts talking about himself. And he says, look at me. Look at how I conduct myself. Look at what I'm doing. I'm your example. And what's going to happen here is, is as we move through these three chapters, and believe it or not, we're going to do that all this morning. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we're going to do our best. Uh, uh, but I can't cover everything. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to really focus on chapter 8 and then the most, the majority of chapter 10. And when we look at chapter 10, it's going to talk about Paul's heart as he approaches this attitude. And so we're going to get a really good idea of what chapter 9 is all about. Um, but we're doing this to keep a continuity of answering and addressing this specific question. There are other things that are said in, in chapter 9 and, and 10, but uh, we're going to focus primarily on Paul's answer to this question. And he's going to do that by discussing three related situations. Uh, they're up here on the screen. What are we supposed to do about purchasing meat that's for sale in the market? Can we eat meat in a pagan temple? And then if we've been invited to somebody's house as a guest and they serve us food, can we eat it? First Corinthians chapter eight, let's begin reading. And we're gonna read the first three verses. It says, now about food offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not know, uh, he does not yet know it as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And so it should be no surprise to us that right off the beginning, before Paul even begins discussing this, that he is emphasizing that love for one another is central to this subject. So we saw in Romans chapter 14 how he begins it up by saying, don't argue about these things. Don't have that kind of, don't have that kind of an attitude. And here in chapter 8, he opens it up by saying, you're supposed to be loving each other. And he begins with this phrase. We saw this happen in chapter 6 and, and again in chapter 7. Here we are in chapter 8. And Paul is quoting either slogans that were known to the day or he is specifically quoting something that they wrote to him. He says, we know that we all have knowledge. You can put that in quotation marks. That's the phrase. And what he is telling us is that uh, even though we all have knowledge, knowledge is supposed to give us humility. Knowledge can inflate us with pride. Knowledge can make us 
look down on other people. Um, knowledge can give us an argumentative, judgmental spirit. But it's not supposed to. Um, I've got three semesters in Greek when I went to Bible school. Three. It was horrible. But uh, um, now I have a very limited Greek vocabulary. I know the alphabet. And um, I know how to use the resources for myself. I've learned to do that from those classes. But the one thing I really learned was how much I don't know. I know just enough to be very dangerous with it. I have a, such a healthy respect for the Greek language. And you'll notice that I don't quote Greek words and parse them and get all fancy. I'm scared to, to do that. I'm, I know I'm getting on thin ice with myself. And this is the attitude that we're supposed to have as we grow as people and as we learn things, as we meet other people who think about things differently than us, we're supposed to be absorbing all of this information, taking it in and thinking it through, and trying to decide uh, what is right, what's right for me, but loving each other. Knowledge is supposed to give us humility. And so as we come to this subject of us disagreeing with each other about certain things, we want to have humility. We want to love each other. Now, let's continue in verse uh, 4. We're going to read 4, four through 6, I believe. Now, about any, so he goes back. He says, he says, now let's talk about this food that's being offered to idols. But by the way, just because you, know, you have an opinion about something doesn't mean that you have to be a horrible person. We're supposed to be loving each other. Verse 4. About eating food offered to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is no God but one. For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, people worship, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things, and we through him. So basically Paul is saying, look, Zeus and Poseidon, do not exist. They're not real. They're sacrificing to things that aren't even real. There's only one God. And we see here that he's, he's putting the Father and the Son and the Godhead there. And, uh, of course, the Trinity is something that's very difficult for us to understand. But uh, the easiest way for me is I just think of God as, as Him. It's, there's one God. But he has revealed himself to us in three different ways. This is why when you, when you see Jesus, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see. And so here we see Jesus and the Father in the Godhead. It's not mentioning the Holy Spirit at this point. Um, we won't read it this morning probably, but at the beginning of chapter 10 in verse 4, again we are talking about Jesus and his deity. And it's talking about his pre-existence. It's talking about how uh, God uh, provided for the Jewish people when they were wandering in the wilderness and how he sustained them. And it talks about the rock and that the rock is Christ. And so it's telling us that even back then, before Jesus was ever born in a manger in Bethlehem, 
He pre-existed, and he was the one who was sustaining the Jewish people. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Well, he's going to go on, he's going to say, well, not everyone knows this. Not everyone knows that there's one true God. Not everybody is on the same page. Uh, not everybody has the same uh, disposition. You know, if you've ever quit smoking or drinking or chewing tobacco or whatever it is that you had a habit of it that you were trying to kick, you know how difficult it was to go into a convenience store because it was surrounding you, just coming in at you, all around the wall behind the clerk, you know, and you're just trying to get those, those Grippo potato chips. There's all this stuff, you know, and so not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody's at the same place in life, and not everybody has the same convictions about these things. And so uh, we're going to begin reading, uh, continue through the rest of the chapter, beginning in verse 7. He said, however, not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Now, food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if somebody sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against the brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never eat any meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. So he starts off by saying not everyone has this knowledge there in verse 7. Knowing Zeus is not real doesn't mean everybody can just shake that off. Just because you tell somebody something is true Look, there's, there are no idols. They're not real. It's just a graven image out of wood or silver or stone or something. It's, it, it, Zeus doesn't exist. You can eat the meat. That doesn't mean that a person who comes out of idolatry can just shake that off. Or a person who's grown up in a, in a Jewish home, eating kosher food and, and following the law can just shake that off. Sometimes things are not solved just by logic. You can't just reason things through to somebody. You know, uh, I remember our oldest daughter, when we were trying to get her to sleep in her own room, it's the last thing she wanted to do. She wanted to sleep in the bed with us. And uh, we went through this catharsis of trying to get her to do this. I remember one night she was laying in there, and, and I kind of heard her cry. And I said, Kaylee, are you crying? And she said, yes. And I said, so why? And she says, I'm scared. And I said, well, what are you scared about, Kaylee? And she goes, and she started really crying. She goes, dinosaurs! You know? <laughs> so, you know, when you're, you know, you know, some people take their baby and teach them how to swim, and they just throw them in the swimming pool. Sink or swim, just throw them in there. And if they survive, they get their baby out and say, ah, I knew you were my son. <laughs> That's how some people treat things with, without love. And so, if your child is afraid of the dark, you know, you. You give them a nightlight. You go in there patiently, night after night, turning on the light. See, honey, there's nothing in the closet. I'm going to 
we're gonna close it, we're gonna put these towels around, I got this lock on it, and nobody's in the closet, you know, and uh, you, you put a nightlight in there, you leave the hall light on, you open the door for them, or you let them sleep in your bed, you know, but uh, there's a heart behind how you approach these things. Uh, just, just knowing facts isn't always going to solve something. And this is exactly what's happening here. He, he says there, uh, in verse 7, he says, In fact, some who have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience is weak and they're defiled. Notice what it's saying here. That these people that just came out of idolatry are eating the meat. People are telling them it's okay, so they're doing it. But they're defiling themselves because their conscience is weak. They are, they are sinning against their own conscience. They shouldn't do it. People shouldn't encourage them to do it. We notice that Paul is not commending them for abstaining. He's not commending people who don't do something. Matter of fact, he's saying that they have a weak conscience. Now, we're going to talk more about that, but at this point, Paul is just talking about eating meat in general. He's not saying it's in a, you're being served as a guest at somebody's house, you're not eating it in a pagan temple. He's just talking about meeting it, eating it in general. He's just saying that some people have a real problem with doing this, and they're doing it, and they're violating their conscience. They're stumbling. They're, they're violating their conscience. And we saw in verses 11 through 13 that to do that, is a sin. If we were to read Romans 14, we would see it again, that it's a sin to violate your own conscience. If it's wrong for you, you shouldn't do it. And he says, for those who have a clear conscience about eating the food, there are some situations where it's not appropriate. He says, but be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, this problem, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat the food offered to idols? And so here it is. Here is the principle. This is the principle. It's the principle of regulating our liberties voluntarily because we love other people. And in this situation, it's talking about not going into this pagan temple because we know that it's going to cause someone to stumble. In verses 11 through 13, it tells us that to do that is a sin. Now, we're going to fast forward from there. We're going to skip chapter 9 because Paul's going to continue this conversation in chapter 10. So if you turn in your Bible, continue to turn in, in your Bible to chapter 10, we're going, to, we're going to make it to chapter 10, verse 14. So he's talking about this pagan temple. And if you're inside their eating and someone sees you in their eating that has a, a guilty conscience about this, their conscience is not clear, you can cause them to stumble. How, how could you cause them to stumble? You can encourage them to come in there and eat when they, when they should. That's wrong. It's wrong for them. It's wrong for you to do it to them. It's just wrong. 
Or they can walk by and see you in there, and then all of a sudden they're looking down their long nose at you. Either way, they've stumbled, and it's your fault. Because they've got a weaker conscience than you do. Well, Paul is going to pick this up again in chapter 10. And he's going to give us another reason to avoid fellowship in these pagan temples. Now, I want to say that this is not talking about going into a bowling alley. This pagan temple is not a bowling alley. It's not a bingo hall. This is a pagan temple. This is a place where animals were being sacrificed to these deities. And let's read the passage and you'll see what Paul says about this. Beginning in verse 14. We're going to read through to verse 22. He said, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For all of us share that one bread. Well, look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? Well, what am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to, do, to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He is? He's saying even though this is a graven image, and even though these gods are not even real, there are demons behind this. This makes it very different from a bowling alley. Here's Paul's point. He says that when, when we come together for the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We're coming before God because we know that we, can, we are in fellowship with Him because of His Son. We know that we have forgiveness of our sins through His Son. The reason we have been reconciled with the one true God is because of His Son and what He did for us on the cross. And so when we come together, what are we doing? We, we are honoring Jesus. We are thanking Him. Our very presence being there is a testimony of His blessings in our life. It is a testimony of His goodness. It is a time of reflection. It is a time of fellowship. It's a very important time when we come together in the Lord's Supper. And He's saying, that's what they're doing. And we don't need to be doing anything like that with demons. So in that situation, Paul says, let's not do that. And then he's going to continue, verse 23. And he's going to quote these same phrases that you'll remember he quoted in chapter 6 and verse 12. Beginning in verse 23, he says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. 
Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience's sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for his conscience's sake. I do not mean your conscience, but the other person's. Why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something for which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything to God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Verse 1 of chapter 11, Be imitators of me, as I also am of Christ. There's that heart that we find in chapter 9. Paul is saying to avoid the pagan temples if you can. Especially if you know that you're going to cause someone to stumble. Does that mean you can't go to a wedding reception there? You see, we've got to be real careful about telling each other what to do, don't we? He says, you can't eat meat sold in the market. You can, and you can eat meat that someone served you as a guest in someone's home, but not if they tell you that it's been sacrificed to an idol. Not for your conscience, but for theirs. And he goes on, he says, whatever you do, do everything for God's glory and give no offense. As I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Now, if he's going to try to save all people, and all I try to please all people in all things, then there's going to be some circumstances where he will do some things, and there's going to be circumstances when he won't do some things. Because his objective is the gospel. Let's talk about our conscience just for a minute. God has written his laws on all men's hearts. That's Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. All of us know what's right and wrong. He's written his laws on our hearts. Now, if a person has a clear conscience about sin, so if we have to remember that there are some things that the Bible are very clear about that are just wrong. They're always wrong. They're inherently wrong. Right? It's, it's never going to be right. Um, so if you're doing that and you've got a clear conscience, that's not a clear conscience. That is a seared conscience. That is a cauterized conscience. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those matters that each one of us internally work out in our own heart. This dialogue that occurs inside of us that becomes a conviction. And to violate our convictions is to stumble. Now, each Christian has convictions that are tailor-made for you by God. And that is why it is wrong for you to violate your own convictions. I'm going to use myself as an example. Uh, when I got saved, there were certain things that I absolutely could not do. Period. No way. I knew that if I did them, I was going to fall back into my old ways. Or I was afraid... I would fall back into my old ways. 
I would scare you what kind of person I was when I got saved. But I, uh, I refused to listen to any kind of music that was secular. Just none, period, forget it. So I put on this AM radio station in Joplin, Missouri. It was horrible. And the songs were awful. It was so painful. But I had just a steady diet of that music. That was just me. It doesn't mean that everybody else who becomes a Christian has to only listen to that AM channel, but I did. And if I didn't do it, I would have been sinning. God had dialed that into me for my own protection. I just listened to that music. And it became my best friend, and I loved it. I would not go out on a date. I did not go out on a date with anybody for three years. No drinking, no smoking, no chewing tobacco. I got a list. There was a long one. And it, was, it wasn't something that I came up with. It was something that God came up with. And he just dialed it into my heart. You think that God tells everybody that when they get saved, they can't go out on a date anymore? What changed? Where all of a sudden I could go out on a date. What happened there? Was I violating my conscience? Violating my convictions? No, I had a very weak conscience. It was very weak. And over time, it got stronger. My faith got stronger. I have to tell you something else. I, uh, I gave up hunting and fishing. I had a crossbow and I, got, I had shotguns and rifles and fishing poles and everything. I had a big pole for frog gigging. And I killed everything. Whatever it was, I killed it. And uh, it was so much fun. And God took that away from me. And I just can't do it anymore. I know how, but I won't. So that's something that is still here to this day. I don't hunt and I don't fish. If I had to, I would. But I don't. I can go to Kroger's and get chicken and beef. I don't have to. Somebody else has already killed them. But I will no longer <clears throat> kill things for fun. And if I have to kill to eat, I can just go to Kroger's. So this is a... a this is a conviction I have. It's not yours. It's mine. It is something that God has built in my heart for my protection, for me. And you would have to have the same. There are things that you will do and things you will not do. I've used this example a million times, but you know, it's, we're, gonna, we're getting ready for the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness, and everybody's going to have their little gambling pots at work, and some people have already bet thousands of dollars at Las Vegas on these games. Thousands. Now, you may not have a problem with betting $5 on a little office pot, but you won't bet 50 bucks. I'm not betting 100. Some people can bet 100 and it doesn't bother them. You see the differences. There's convictions that we have. Every Christian has convictions that are tailor-made just for you. And that's why it's wrong for you to violate your own convictions. A weak conscience needs to mature. 
It needs to become informed. In other words, you're supposed to grow. And as you grow as a Christian, your conscience is supposed to become stronger. It's not supposed to stay weak. It's supposed to get stronger. But even while that is true, some convictions will never change. Some will stay with you till your dying breath. And this is for a couple of different reasons. One is a good one and one is a bad one. One reason is because it's for your own protection. This is something God knows that you need. It's to help you for whatever reason. We all come from very different backgrounds. We've been exposed to so many things, each one of us. And so uh, how we handle those things or how we wouldn't handle those things. And so these are all things that are designed for our own protection. But there's another reason, and that is because we as a per- people uh, tend to be more works-oriented, and we find security in rules. And so the, uh, you know, my experience is that the weaker Christians are anything but weak in church. They are the strongest ones. They are the most outspoken ones. The Bible tells us here that they are prone to judge and very susceptible to stumbling. doesn't mean that they're going to stumble by doing it. They could stumble by judging. And so we want to have a strong conscience and work towards that, realizing that it's okay to eat the meat. We found this out in Acts chapter 10. Remember Peter? Peter said, God, you have got it all wrong. I have never ate anything like that. That food is forbidden. And he said, no, you should eat it. It's okay now. And Peter said, God, I'm sorry. I think you've got this wrong. Remember? And Peter came to the place. He was in Cornelius' house. And he was like, I understand now that God has extended his gospel to even the Gentiles. That's us. So uh, one other thing. Uh, is that um, just because other people have convictions about things and we want to be respectful of other people's convictions, this does not mean that it is necessary for a believer to confine themselves to the most restrictive convictions that that are known to exist. There has to be a balance I should not have to live under your set of convictions, and I would not expect you to live under my set of convictions. But when we come together, or for the sake of the gospel, we've got to be respectful of each other. You know, some evangelical churches, these are born-again Christians, uh, believe that it's wrong to have musical instruments in a church service. They think that's wrong. Are we to not do this because of their convictions? Is it possible somebody could walk down the street and hear music coming out of our building? So it's not true that we're supposed to be completely restricted and confined by every known conviction. Uh, I was listening to Chuck Swindoll talk about this, and, and he's talking about how God wants Christians to have a free life in Christ, to have an abundant life. You know, Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it more abundantly. John 10.10. He wants us to have a nice life. Enjoy ourselves. Have a smile on our face. A smile in our heart. A song in our heart. That's what God wants. 
And so he compares it to driving from uh, one side of the United States to the other on, on Route 66 or on the interstate. One is much better. One's, one is rich. And one is much closer to people. So he said, be careful for those people who want to put chains around your ankles, chains on your wrists, and a hook in your nose. Be careful for those Christians. They have a weaker conscience. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. There was a pastor who talked about his son came home from kindergarten, his little boy. And he came home with a note from the teacher. And uh, his kindergartner son. And uh, so he said, oh boy, what has little Johnny done? So he opens the note, and the teacher is recommending him to have his eyesight checked. She's noticing he's having some problems seeing. And sure enough, his son has weaker eyes. And everyone was encouraging him. The glasses were cool. And mom and dad were worried and hoping that nobody would be mean to him at school. And that was when he realized, he came to understand God's protective and loving heart when he dials in our specific set of instructions. In closing, we're going to read Romans chapter 14 because I think that after everything that's been said, and after reading chapters 8 and mostly of 10, I think Romans 14 is going to hit it out of the ballpark for us. So if you will, I would ask you to, to turn to Romans chapter 14 with me. And we just finished studying this in Sunday school. Everything that's been said, just kind of keep that in your mind as you, as you read what Paul is saying here in chapter 14. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another household slave? You're a slave too. Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he stands, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So right there, we are not supposed to be looking down our nose on each other, recognizing that we're different. And we're at different stages in our Christian growth. We come from different backgrounds. Verse 5. One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat. Yet he thanks God too. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, 
we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that He might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an answer, an account of himself to God. Verse 13, Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another, but instead decide not to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. But while you eat, do not destroy that one for whom Christ died. I read that wrong. By what you eat, do not destroy that one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19. So then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have faith? Keep it to yourself before God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because, he is, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. And then just a little bit of chapter 15. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good in order to build him up. Look at this. For even the Messiah did not please himself. I'm the first one to tell you that this is a difficult balancing act. And I have failed at this miserably. I can think of things that I have done or not done uh, that I wish I'd done different. I have not always done this right. None of us have. This is a humbling passage. It is a controversial, difficult passage because we are talking about how strongly we feel about things and other people feel differently. So it forces us to love each other. It forces us to have humility if we're going to have unity. Because Paul says one of probably the most important things here in verse 17 of chapter 14. In Romans 14, verse 17, he says, you know, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's where our minds needs to be as we approach these matters. Let's pray.